0: The the title of this talk is, uh, as Stan's just said, it's the Kinder Scout mass trespass, 90 years on communist history and official myths. Um, Hopefully uh, the talk will have the effect of um, electrifying you like track rails, but if that doesn't happen and you remain shunted in a siding somewhere in the English countryside, then just bear in mind that um, it isn't actually the CPG's fault as I pitched this talk to them and they kindly agreed to host it. Uh, uh, so uh, thanks to them for that. But if anything goes wrong, it's very much uh, 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 my fault and not theirs. And if you're pining for country file after an hour and a half, um, yeah, blame me, uh, not them. I'm hoping perhaps in vain that you might have read um, my article on the Kinder Scout mass trespass in the latest Weekly Worker, because I'm going to par- partly going to speak to that. <coughs> excuse me in the first section, although I want to spend the latter part kind of discussing the process whereby sections of the history of the Communist Party of Great Britain, and I'm talking uh, for most of this meeting really about the old official uh, Communist Party of Great Britain, the CPGB, as I'm going to refer to it. Um, that existed between 1920 and 1991. Um, uh, I'm gonna discuss the process where that that organization's history uh, has had a kind of respectable kind of makeover. I'm gonna discuss a little bit at the end and what possibly can be done to kind of combat that trend. Um, I've had to, when I've written this talk, I've tried to explain as much as I can to people who aren't kind of familiar with some of the, Kind of ins and outs of this, but I have to kind of assume my audience has some familiarity with the kind of basic dimensions of communist history in the 20th century. Um, like I say, I'll try and ex- explain particular things kind of where possible, but I've had to pitch it at a level where <clears throat> you know I expect people to, to to know and understand certain things. That's kind of inevitable about doing things like this. Otherwise, you just get lost in explanations for an hour, which is not 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 very helpful. Uh, well, that kind of brings an end to the first uh, admin-based uh, part of the talk. So, with, without further ado, we'll move on to the we'll move on to the rest of it. So, in the first part, of it, I'm going to talk a little bit about what the Kindermas, Kinder Scout Mass trespass was. So today is the uh, the 90th anniversary of uh, uh, of the Kendal mass, mass trespass. Um, um, by uh, the trespass was carried out by young Lancashire communists, and it was led by um, a young communist league member called Benny Rothman, um, uh, uh, who some of you may have heard may have heard of. Him. Benny Rothman subsequently became like a, a trade union organizer in the Lancashire area uh, and surrounding areas for the, the Communist Party of Great Britain after this kind of episode, and, and was a CPGB member uh, after the Second World War and uh, fairly till fairly late on, I think. Um, Kinder Scout itself is a kind of moorland plateau in the Derbyshire Peak District that um, is now um it's now part of a national uh, park. Um, i've never actually been to Kinder Scout myself um uh, to be absolutely honest that kind of landscape um always looked quite bleak to me uh, given that i come from oxfordshire where are you where it's more like a Sweet earth and kind of rolling hills, and I always thought that um, things like Kinder Scout looked fairly kind of, uh, fairly kind of bleak to me. Although I am being educated slowly in the kind of uh, beauties of, of, of different kind of landscapes, but leaving <clears throat> leaving my history aside. Um, and going back to the history of 1932, which is when this 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 mass trespass by young communists took place, uh, back in 1932, this was private land and it was owned by the Duke of Devonshire. And uh, given that Ramblin and hiking were mass working class leisure pursuits in the 1930s, <clears throat> there's lots of literature on this that's quite interesting. But you know, rambling and hiking were, were 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 you know they really were a, a uh, the mass pastime of the English working classes, given that they were, um, <clears throat> given that it was a fairly kind of cheap pastime, and that and that you could get uh, cheap rail fares to kind of facilitate that 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 kind of thing. This is this is the kind of appeal to this kind of thing of getting out in, into the kind of great outdoors. And young communists and young socialists uh, and young Labour Party members were no different to that kind of general friend, but the the. Um, Unfortunately for those uh, ramblers, the the, the the vast majority of the English countryside, including its kind of most beautiful kind of spots, then and, and as now actually was in the hands of private owners. And it was closed to working class uh, ramblers. So it was like a particularly kind of brutal demonstration of the class system in action as opposed to, you know, as, as applied to people's kind of leisure time. Now, um You might this weekend. have read a kind of uh, uh, um, a kind of veritable uh, pile of nonsense, really, about this the ninetieth anniversary in the media this weekend. uh, There's been things in the newspapers on the broadcast media. I've 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 read. I've looked at some of it. uh, and uh, ignored most of it uh, because it's not uh, none of it's very edifying or very historically accurate. But anyway, this mass trespass, mass, mass trespass of 1932, has been adopted now by all sorts of kind of official bourgeois and pro-capitalist institutions and figures. Uh, as the mass trespass in 1932 by Rothman and Company ended up in a confrontation and basically a fight between the young communists and the gamekeepers employed by the Duke of Devonshire. And, and the basically the trespass leaders, the ringleaders, were sent to jail after this. I and mean, it makes it kind of a suitably kind of dramatic event to add colour and life, uh, you know, to the contemporary reformist and pro-establishment politics of the likes of... Um, the EU-loving uh, capitalist Green Party politician Caroline Lucas, who I see is be- is being inflicted upon the an- anniversary celebrations this weekend, um, uh, but you know. Uh, these 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 figures who are effectively bland kind of bourgeois reformist politicians these kind of type of events as long as they're suitably distanced in the past they can add a nice bit of like topical kind of colour romance and drama to to basically what are very kind of these days very kind of prosaic politics What has been bled out of the memory of the event though is its status, which is immediately apparent when you kind of look at any of the actual historical sources from 1932 and the the time as an event led by young communists. Um, um, And also this event, uh, it represented important facets of the Young Communist League and CPGB's uh, culture of the time. Communist affiliations are occasionally mentioned these days when you read about this on behalf of the protagonists but the communist kind of background to it is scarcely analysed or at least very rarely kind of lingered over so it's kind of just mentioned in passing really as if it's a kind of ephemeral part of uh, uh, this historic event now the mass trespass was f- formally it was led by members of the lancashire british workers sports federation bwsf uh, which by 1932 was led uh, pretty much by the um, YCL and CPGB. It was led by young communists. It wasn't set up uh, uh, like that. It was Initially, it was set up by Labour Party members, but there had been a kind of power struggle within that organisation. And by this time, it was pretty much um, a, you know, a YCL-dominated organisation. Not all the people involved in the BWSF, British Workers' Sports Federation, would have been communists but, um, uh, or or even politicos, but a fair proportion of them would be, and they were the dominant organization in it. Uh, A daily worker report of the time talking about the uh, mass trespass. Uh, It said, um, returning from the encounters, from the Returning from the encounter with the gamekeepers employed by the Duke of Devonshire, that's what that's referring to, the hikers and uh, the daily worker used hikers uh, uh, with speech marks uh, uh, to point up the irony, the hikers sang the red flag and shouted down with the landlords and ruling classes and up with the workers and down with the bobbies, i.e. the policemen much was made in the subsequent court trial of the daily workers and books uh, uh, by Lenin that were being found on the trespassers and there there was lots of questions in court you know is Lenin that Russian gentleman and so forth so uh, Rothman uh, Benny Rothman who was a young mechanic uh, he told the press before the trespass he was obviously a a uh, 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 fine, uh, um, he was a fine publicist, Rothman, and he could talk a good, could talk a good game as well as do uh, as well as act out one he said with sufficient support we believe we can make our action effective even in the face of the opposition we should no doubt receive from gamekeepers and police we feel we cannot any longer submit to being deprived of the beauties of the countryside for the convenience of the landowners wherever we claim we have a just right to go we shall trespass en masse so this event really when you kind of look at it in the in the cold light of day of the actual sources of 1932 are not and not reading the subsequent kind of, uh, uh, the subsequent narrative that's grown up about it. It was a kind of classic, what you'd say it was an itchy-footed kind of action of the third period of the of as that period of of common term politics was called of CPGB politics was called, of the late 1920s and 30s, where in this period the CPGB were stressing a kind of a, an uber confrontational attitude to the to the forces of the establishment and any kind of hangers-on like the Labour Party. It tends to be called, uh, you know, it tends to be low. It tends to be kind of labelled ultra-left, which, is, um, uh, which is, is true for the most part, although there, there, there's some important kind of distinctions to be made in that, which we don't have time to go into here. But really it was a highly confrontational, um, where the emphasis was on action and militant mass action. Basically, the action of Rothman and Company was designed to get up the noses of the reform, what they called the reformist Ramblers Federation. Uh, The Ramblers Federation showed a far more cautious attitude to the rights of hikers and Ramblers ramblers and as Rothman made clear uh, later on he strongly suspected and I think rightly that unlike now the middle class leadership of various established ramblers groups strongly disliked the idea of young communists tramping through the countryside because it basically basically the ramblers federation thought the YCL and communists were queering it queering its pitch, which was more softly, softly, uh, you know, in a reformist uh, kind of approach that gently pushed people into action and through parliamentary bills and so forth, Rothman and the company weren't interested in that but it was actually the ridiculous prison sentences of up to up to 6 months some of these people received in prison that actually galvanized wider support for the trespassers and not the tactics of the event itself the established ramblers groups pretty much hated the uh the whole idea of uh, of uh, 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 you know of rothman and and the ycl leading this this kind of thing and they were very wary of it um so uh this is this this is this is a narrative that substantively kind of changed like, over time. So, um, really, um, you can read about the kind of way that that unfolded, kind of blow by blow, in the article that you all haven't read. Um, but by the time of the fifth year anniversary in 1982, that's that's 40 years ago. Uh, as I detail in the article, the process of uh, uh, the process of of of, of the Labour Party's leadership recuperating that event on behalf of the establishment was already well underway, and um, as is as is made clear by some um, academic historians, there is a certain irony in, in that, given that the Labour Party of the time of 1932 would of course will have opposed the kind of uh, the, the the politics of the mass the communist mass trespass of 1932. But well, we have to be clear that really it was the CPGB itself that um, surrendered the idea of, like a, of a communist mass trespass in 1932, um, being led at this point by the um, uh, uh, Euro communist faction and the party's kind of conservative kind of right opportunist bureaucracy at that point. Um, they, The Euro-communists uh, and the CPGB leadership willingly kind of bled the event of its communist significance, just as they had bled all of the CPGB's politics uh, of that type of any kind of communist significance. And uh, also Tony Chater's supposed kind of oppositionist morning star of that time, they went along quite happily quite happily with this in in 1982 this this bleeding of the events kind of communist identity the the party's history was pretty much on this particular point uh, was surrendered kind of reactionaries just like the party itself was surrendered to reactionaries and and the ignominy of uh, political liquidation The situation today where any old bourgeois politician can kind of come along and claim an event, such as the Kinder Scout mass trespass, is one that was um, kind of heartily contributed to by people who you actually call themselves kind of communists. So this process that you see today is something that was actually started in in the official CPGB itself. The idea that the um, Eurocommunist communist cpgb and the morning star fixed on the kinder scout mass trespass which has been subsequently taken up by nearly like everyone else is that, that basically the the kinder scout uh, mass trespass paved the way for the Attlee government's 1949 national parks and access to the countryside act uh, which led to the creation of some kind of national parks after the second world war um, this process was repeated in the New air, new Labour era, when the Kinderscout mass trespass was claimed to be uh, an inspiration for the uh, Countryside and Rights of Way Act in 2000. Uh, the situation now is that the right to roam only exists actually for 8% of the English countryside only. I don't, I don't know what the situation is in Scotland and Wales. I haven't looked that up. And... Uh, Mark Spencer, who is the leader, the conservative leader of the House of Commons, he could lecture us this week that, uh, this is to quote him, we have to recognise the countryside is not just a place of leisure. But it is also a place of business and food production. In other words, uh, private property is sacred. Bugger off is, is that's the actual subtext of that kind of that kind of uh, 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 rhetoric. Um, this actually shows what the Labour Party reforms actually led to. Uh, they led to a kind of sanctifi- sanctification of property rights and restrictions in the countryside in return for an access to what in england we have as a mere 8% of the countryside and it's kind of this mess of reformist pottage that the CPG kind of surrendered its kind of militant history for uh, in, 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 in linking the kind of mass trespass of 1932 uh, uh, to the subsequent kind of acts of the Labour Party kind of in, in Parliament. National parks were, of course, like a gain for like working class people and all people actually, but the cost of that, which is keeping ninety two percent of land under private ownership, is arguably a uh, kind of greater. Uh, and as can be seen, this kind of this kind of squalid barter, which is what those kind of acts kind of rep- rep- you know uh, represent, i.e. Uh, we would like access to this, uh, but you can keep this. Which some CPGB uh, writers on this kind of history, uh, such as Howard Hill, that have been intelligent enough to realise that that is actually what was been going on with during this process. But you can see, to that you can see from this, this is very very little to do with the actual YCL, the Young Communist Mass Trespassers of 1932. Who, whatever the severe faults of the international communist movement at that juncture, whatever the faults of the CPG at that juncture, by the, by the fact of them touting an end to the ruling class and landlords and thus private ownership, they saw the it, they saw the issue with more rationality than any of the people who took on their mantle. Uh, you know, never mind the kind of supine and stupid commentary of, of modern time modern times. Um, uh, a kind of note of caution though on this point, um, we can't merely emulate the Communist Party of Great Britain or the YCL of 1932 and just counterpose militant action and spark in the class struggle into life through demos, strikes and protests of the broader political landscape that surrounds issues such as access to the countryside these kind of third period politics they relied upon a very simplistic kind of conception of uh, working class consciousness as evolving through organizing around specific injusti- injustice and hence by that route you marched you get towards the revolution so the basic idea of crudely put is that you have a strike you have a demo you have an outbreak you have you have a, a demonstration against some injustice and then we march along the road from that point along to the British Revolution and to the Soviet brim. Uh, this was actually a kind of defor- def- deformation of the C- some of the CPGB's approach in the 1920s. Period- periodically, especially in journal in journals such as the Sunday Worker, CPGB treated its audience as the advanced part of the working class. They recognizes the, um, they recognizes the political di- differences that existed uh, within its audience. Uh, uh, and they they talked to that audience in a politically advanced way. It wasn't, And they recognized that people had a political history and that they came from a certain point, which means that to, to some degree, the Sunday Worker was a look of paper full of debate between kind of working class protagonists the the uh, the CPGB of the 1932 had a, had a had a different kind of conception of the working class which was shown uh, uh in uh, you know in the daily worker which was the which was the um successor to the sunday worker uh, it, it dealt with kind of politics in a different in a different way you did read things about party culture in the daily worker but the way it kind of approached issues uh, you know it was very much about sparking the class into life through a, through a kind of more rudimentary pro- you know a process of kind of uh, kind of protest and the CPGB actually theorized at that point that it was actually immediate issues that were the were more important and they tried to like um, as many trotskyist groups have sub- subsequently tried to do they've tried to kind of almost capsize the existing kind of labor movement by this process of like uh, you know uh, approaching immediate demands in a kind of militant kind of way doesn't work now didn't work then but um, so yes, yeah, so this this was so we can't even though I, I would say that um I, I would rather probably have the politics of Benny Rothman and the YSL in nineteen thirty two than the establishment figures uh, proclaiming the Kinder Scout mass trespass today. Um, you know this is not any sort of like a, you know alternative alternative really, and that's not what I'm trying to suggest. Um, I'm going to um I'm going to kind of move on to kind of so that really is the terrain of what's kind of happened to the the, the history of the, the the Kinder Scout kind of mass protests and how the view of that has changed kind of through history and what's occurred. It's it's something that's been recuperated by the establishment by draining it of its kind of common its kind of impetus. I'm now going to move on just to talk a little bit about some of the kind of like more broader things because the, obviously this this what this kind of represents is, is 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 more broadly the way that parts of the communist party's history have, have been used by like alien kind of uh, alien kind of forces and there's been a kind of process of exhuming uh, the cpgb in its history um, I think it's important to recognize really that this is a product of the fact that the official CPGB was wound up in 1991. And the forces that now exist around that title of CPGB, uh, 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 you know, in, including the Morning Star CPB, uh, 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 the, the, uh, the, the hosts of this forum and the various other organisations that have got the, the title of Communist Party in this country—they're all still factions, really, without a party. There's no, there's no real, uh, there's no real Communist Party that exists in society. There's basically a succession of campaigns for the Communist Party, and as far as kind of polite society is concerned. Uh, Parts of the CPGV's history can be can now be safely ex, uh, excavated, and uh, and in, in 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 that process, its it specific specific political culture can be pushed to kind of to one side because it's deemed to be dead and it's deemed to be a safe. Uh, kind of a kind of thing to do by by uh, by talking about this you're not going to raise it up uh, uh, from the dead in the kind of you know to name is it, to kind of summon kind of uh, act um, this had already become quite apparent actually in the 1990s and 2000s if you look back um at that point in the in that in that point in those two decades cpgb history became became relatively popular among academics in this country and there was the production of quite a a number of kind of academic kind of works at that point uh, um, um, all which had problematic politics some of which were very useful and were uh, you know expanded our kind of view of the cpgb by having a broader range of sources to pull from but i'll talk about those in a little while but the you can kind of see this process at work, but it can be shown by the um, the subsequent treatment of the writer and the ex CPGB member, um, Edward Upwood. By the 1970s, Edward Upwood had been a. a, a Edward Upwood had been. Um, uh, an intellectual, really, who'd been recruited by the CPGB in, in, in the 1930s. Uh, and, but even after he left the CPGB, he produced a number of novels which drew on his experience within the organisation, the party. But by the 1970s, he had become what he later referred to in a, in a, in a story as an unmentionable man. That's the title of one of his uh, short stories of kind of later years. And the final installment of a, of a trilogy he wrote called The Spiral Ascent um, was only actually published because of Arts Council funding. Uh, this was in the 1970s, and the intervention of some of his more famous literary friends uh, would gradually run out of publishers. uh, And he was suspicious, really, because he still viewed... Uh, he obviously still viewed the history of the, the CPGB and the communist movement in this country. He obviously viewed that as, as somehow being as the fact that he was a protagonist of this kind of movement and there was still a life, life thing. And in the 70s, when it began to struggle, the CPGB, although it was kind of much reduced and in, in, in retrospect, we can see how uh, wounded the CPGB was by 1970s, this was still an organisation that had, 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 had a sufficient kind of power in the labour movement, um, uh, uh, and particularly in the trade union movement. Uh, you know, and we know all about the liaison committee and and all the other kind of things that had power on the docks. His power was patchy and kind of uneven, but it was a real force. It was a real force in the labour movement, and it effectively choked off all the organisations to its left. It, it it was a it was a kind of uh, invincible kind of roadblock for them about that, that kind of kind of point. So the CPGB was still a live project as far as the uh, you know bourgeois commentators. Uh, 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 thought and this kind of led led into this situation where where would became as he as he said unmentionable um and he also would also had a rather kind of although he'd left the organization in 1948 after a factional struggle uh, with his wife, Hilda, and they struggled against the party's reformism, he had a quite heroic kind of view of the party in the 1930s, at least, when he joined it. He joined at the end of the third period and was involved through through the Popular Front. So... Um, But then what, then you get into the situation, but by the mid 2000s, I think it was about 2004 and 2005, this stuff started to appear with the CPGB safely dead. Upward, who was, um, I think he was over 100 or nearing 100 at this point. He could be safely exhumed in the media and he was kind of presented as kind of like, as a kind of like... I don't know a Marxist kind of intellectual curio, and he'd been a friend of W. H. Auden and Christopher Isherwood, and he'd been to Cambridge, uh, uh, which is obviously a famous kind of destination, kind of point for for, for English, on British communists uh, from the thirties. And so, but he was, you know, and he suddenly had like a, you know, a broadsheet. Uh, broadsheet uh you know very kind of sympathetic kind of like uh treatment uh completely different to we've been treated before but the the idea i'm just trying to get across is the cpgb is dead so then uh, edward upwood's suddenly safe because he's just a kind of curio and he can just be you know poked and prodded around a bit but uh you know, and uh, very safely. So his kind of trajectory shows what happened and how the CPGB could could by that point be discussed within polite society without a sneer and without being unmentionable, as he put it. Um, uh, there's a uh, just to illustrate this kind of process. I've got a couple more examples of the way, like, uh, you know, uh, British communist history has been kind of recuperated by by the, the by the establishment. I haven't studied the, the intellect, its intellectual evolution in detail, but you can see a similar thing occurring, I think, uh, to the treatment of the Kinderscout mass trespass. It's happened also in relation to the Battle of Cable Street of 1936, when the CPGB... Uh, along with other groups of the time, such as the ILP and what I suspect were quite a lot of rank and file Labour Party members as well. That's true. Uh, They organised to stop Oswald Mosley and the British Union of Fascists marching into the East End. The CPGB, of course, um, recruited and organised many Jewish members in in Stepney and in in other areas of London. And one of the um, you know, most famous CPGB leaders of, of that era, Phil Paratin, um, he was obviously of Jewish origin, as were many other kind of leading communists in, in in that area. So I'm not disputing the Jewish Jewish origins and the fact that the, the that the uh, CPGB was strong amongst the Jewish working class. Uh, it, it obviously it obviously was, and Jewish members played a, a, a role in it, a, a, a leading kind of role in it but the Battle of Cable Street is now presented as, as um, if you look in some of the treatments of it in recent years, it's now presented not really as a political um, CBGB event, it's more presented as as a Jewish community event really, Uh, which which means um, it's been actually appropriated by the kind of thoroughly anti-communist Labour Party right And that will become apparent to you if you attend any of the commemoration events of Cable Street. I attended one and uh, I was very shocked to see certain people uh, uh, in the audience uh, um, because um, I wouldn't have even described them as being particularly left wing. I wouldn't have described them as being socialist, but they were quite happy to come along to this, as I say, which was they, they it was something presented as a kind of community event. And I picked this up more or less at random from a 2006 uh, website's introduction. This was a website that was produced on the 80th anniversary of Cable Street. It said, uh, it is 80 years since the Jewish community of East London and its allies... Uh, uh, interesting word, allies. I wonder who they were. Blocked the streets in order to prevent Oswald Mosley and his British Union of Fascists marching through. That's the introductory kind of sentence, and it, and you know, and on that site, the, the the at best the CPGB plays a very kind of supporting role, uh, and this is a kind of clear shift in the historical uh, narrative from what had gone before. Uh, if you look at um, <clears throat> Arnold Wesker's. 1956 play Chicken Soup with Barley. Um, This dealt with the Battle of Cable Street by, yes, foregrounding Jewish characters, and it did foreground the Jewish community, but those Jewish characters and that Jewish community were heavily mediated by the experience of the CPGB with the heroic picture of the party in 1936, organising the Battle of Cable Street. that was contrasted to the kind of disintegration of the CPGB during the cold war as Jewish members had to face up to the repression of Jewish people in the USSR. So, uh, you know, but chicken soup with barley is is a book uh, is a play, sorry, that's saturated with the idea of the CPGB in the foreground and which is, I think is historically uh, accurate. And, and, you know, the, um, uh, you know when when you read Peretz, our flag stays red. This idea of a, a Jewish community is always is always filtered through uh, working class and communist identity, which always actually uh, trump. Uh, uh, uh you know whatever people's kind of origins or or, or were the uh, the beginning of that so we have actually got a reverse of that of the, the way in which these events were being uh you know uh presented um so Wesker's completely correct to kind of foreground the communism, um, given that, you know, the Battle of Cable Street would have never happened without the CPGB, even though there's a there's a kind of like long known thing that the National Party did actually initially try to push activists away from Cable Street. But as the as the as the uh, as the sources show, it rapidly gave that line up after it became clear that that any instructions to avoid the Battle of Cable Streets and a confrontation with Mosley, they weren't going to be followed by the local CBGB groups. So the national leadership of the CBGB kind of fell into line because they realised that 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 wasn't a goer. But I always wonder what people who tout this idea that the Battle of Cable Street was a a community event, I wonder what they make of pictures of what are obviously communists with clenched fists, uh, parading up and down uh, uh, Cable Street. I wonder what they make of the hammers and sickles that you can see chalked and painted on the walls and signs saying, don't smash workers' shops. I wonder what these people actually think that actually means and what they get from that, but what Cable Street it was. It's a very unique community event, I would say. As for the slogan of they shall not pass, um, um, in terms of like people from the Labour right using this kind of slogan, well, I generally associate this phrase with members of the Labour Party bureaucracy when they have to deal with left-wing motions at, at ward meetings. You know, literally, they shall not pass. And uh, if you're lucky enough to get in the meeting uh, these days, that is still, a, <clears throat> I suppose, at least it's a phrase that will come easily to them but it would be a, a actually a useful project to, to trace this change of historical narrative in more detail and as with the kinder Scout mass trespass this year i'm sure i'm absolutely sure that there will be an absolute hurricane of nonsense written about cable street in 2026 which is when that <clears throat> event has its kind of 90th kind of anniversary so Cable Street is another example of an event that seems to have been kind of recuperated and taken away from from its kind of specific communist identity. But we also have um, uh, I also have a more like a. I also have a more recent kind of like experience of this, really, um, uh, when we look at the kind of occurrence of of the AWL, of all organisations trying to colonise the history of the CPGB in the cause of the politics of kind of liberal intersectionalism. Now the awl is an organization that has is, is long been traditionally phobic about um, what it you know it, uh, in fact it doesn't call it official communism what i call official communism organizations such as, such as the cpgb and, and organizations that have emanated from from that wing of the kind of workers movement and generally in the past it's kind of had like a Uh, uh, Because it can never really, that organisation can never really seriously debate the kind of ins and outs of that, the, the kind of history of it. So it generally has one tactic in relation to anyone who's in and around these groups. And they from this milieu, and that's usually to squawk or tanky or Stalinist as loud as you can, and hey presto, that's the, that's the job done, and that's that's all fixed, and that's all fine and hunky dory. Operating CPGB figures such as the Communist Labour MP um, uh, Saklat Vala, uh, they um, they uh, uh, they uh, they they tagged him under the safe uh, and establishment-friendly moniker moniker of britain's first uh bame mp uh, uh saklar vala was of indian origin and um they argued that such figures uh worked on the terrain of kind of intersectionalist identity kind of politics now in that sense the aw all the well is really doing is kind of adapting itself to conventional kind of modern opinion whereby <clears throat> even figures such as um uh uh, uh uh, Rajani Palmeda, uh, who was born to uh, <clears throat> Indian and Swedish parents and long vilified by bourgeois commentators because of his loyalty to the USSR and disloyalty to the British state. Even he's been presented under the moniker on the Open University website as, <clears throat> as he's under this badge, discover how South Asians shaped the nation 1870 to 1950. Now, even that would probably be a bridge too far for the AWL to kind of recuperate and claim as one of theirs. But the first thing that actually strikes you about the AWL's like generally poorly researched and badly argued kind of effort is the kind of extreme unreality when you look at what figures such as Sakla Vala actually said in the 1920s and 30s. It's crystal clear that Saklatvala's like main idea. Uh, was the kind of unity of Indian and British workers. Um uh, and he, he you know expressed this over and over again. And this was just as true of the CPGB itself when it talked about these types of issues. It always stressed that that, that, that British workers, what they had in common with Indian Indian workers, <clears throat> rather than what 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 uh disunited them and what the particular interpolations of identity were whatever identities people such as Saklatvala have from their backgrounds were heavily kind of submerged excuse me (coughs) excuse me (coughs) were mediated they were heavily submerged and mediated by the politics of international communism their parentage and even the fact that Saklatvala attended um a Zoroastrian initiation ceremony for his children, whereby the CPGB censored him and Saklatvala said he had only done it to retain a trust fund. They don't equate to the need for kind of soliloquies on intersectionalism. And one really might imagine the kind of amusement of people like Saklatvala and Dutton being treated in this way. Uh, the 1920s had a had a much much more brutal appreciation of Saklatvala. vala they knew he was a communist and they kicked him out which again gives you a clue as to the fellow's kind of actual identity in the in the real cut and thrust of politics rather than this kind of bullshit narrative that that a liberal narrative that the awl has stuck on these kind of uh, figures subsequently so we got like there's quite a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I, that I could find other. I'm sure I could find other things of 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 the, the CPGB's history being kind of poached and taken under another batch, But those are the ones <clears throat> that kind of that, that kind of stand out to me and kind of make me think that this is actually this. We're actually what we're actually seeing is a process of incorporation. We're not seeing something that's kind of uh, 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 fragmentary, um, uh, just as the CPGB's like died by death from a thousand opportunist cuts, the kind of history of the organisation is also becoming a subject to this process of like cutting away and chopping up uh, 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 and uh, uh, maiming. Okay. Um, But when we're thinking about how this kind of colonisation process, which is what I kind of think of it as, Uh, when did it actually begin well it actually began quite late on in the party's history because uh, during the 20s and 30s 40s and 50s in particular uh, uh, latterly when the kind of cold war was occurring and, and then the 20s and 30s and the interwar years, <clears throat> the CPGB, however, however far its politics kind of drifted to the right under the Popular Front, however soft aspects of its politics kind of became, it was always disreputable because the, uh, the, the, the British establishment and the establishment of the British Labour movement did not like the CPGB because they could not rely uh, on its kind of support for the British kind of state. And for the British, the, the ventures of the British state. Now, the CPGB did support ventures of the British state during that kind of those years, and the obvious one being when it supported the the, the Second World War and the imperialist Second World War, which the CPGB unfortunately uh, uh, supported after the Soviet Union it had been invaded in nineteen forty one. But the CPGB didn't <clears throat> they didn't support the, that war because that they were uh, 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 that because they were not at that point particularly keen to support the British establishment. They supported that war because they were loyal to Stalin and, and, and the Soviet Union. And uh, even during the Second World War, when the CPGB were involved in that process of um when they were involved in that pro-support in the second world war the Labour party never once let up off on this negative propaganda versus versus the communist party which basically amounted to them saying uh you know you're not going to affiliate to us because you're a, a secret of 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 communists whose main loyalty is to Moscow whereas by that point the Labour party was thoroughly immersed uh, and its loyalty to the kind of British state uh, during the Second World War. So, <clears throat> so this kind of never let up and the, <clears throat> the Communist Party never became uh, kind of reputable uh, 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 really during its whole existence, but things did kind of lighten uh, 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 a little bit towards the end um even um <clears throat> even when you look at books like douglas hyde's i believed which is a book written by uh, somebody who left the um communist party in the post-war immediate post-war era to join the catholic church <clears throat> he wrote an expose of the cpgb and when you read douglas hyde's Uh, kind of work which is very interesting and uh, and, uh, and I'd encourage anybody to kind of read that because it's actually quite a brilliant book in places what what Hyde kind of portrays is a a party that was the very obverse of kind of kind of like um Uh, you know uh, a reputable the communist party knew it wasn't reputable that's why you know when the daily worker and before the daily worker was shut down during the second world war the party spent uh you know a lot of time setting up uh you know uh, illegal printing presses all over london and other areas to prepare for its illegality so the cpgb had a pretty shrewd idea of that that even though its uh, public front uh, during some of the late 1930s may have been soft, popular front, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, down with Chamberlain type attitudes. Um, the CBG wasn't a reputable organization. And the, the British establishment treated it like that. And then the, the Labour Party establishment, the Labour establishment did too. But as I say, it was the CPGB itself that actually opened up the pause of its own history um, by softening its various kind of political dimensions, and it this process originated in the um, <clears throat> in its final decades when the party started to address its history in works by uh, James Klugman, Noreen Branson, and Margot uh, Heinemann. They were all kind of CPGB act, activists and writers of long standing. I'm going to have to oversimplify this a little bit, but the story went something like the CPGB formed in 1920 was far too revolutionary for the taste uh, of, of the party's right centrist leadership in the 1960s, the popular front of the 1930s. Stripped of its practical relationship to Stalin's diplomacy and things like the party of the new type, this was this projected as the real foundation period of the party. By the 1970s and 80s, the Euro communist faction of the party was also uh, venerating the CPGB of the Popular Front area. Era seeing the 1930s adaptation to bourgeois politics as support for its own inclinations towards adapting to feminism and other social movements and and its kind of aspiration to become the kind of democratic party of all Britons. It's a kind of mini homage to uh, Togliatti's kind of post-1945 Italian Communist Party. Unfortunately, it was largely this this perspective of that that group of like CPG historians and that era of CPGB history writing um, that worked its way into the more recent way that academic historians of the part uh, of the party have portrayed the CPGB. Therefore. In Ben Harker's recent cultural history of the the party which is um well worth reading by the way he draws attention to those moments in the CPGB's history when it seemed the kind of most poorest kind of bourgeois ideas and and the the CPGB sought to adapt itself to British nationalism so we're talking about the popular front of 35 to 39 the late late war and post-war so-called reconstruction period of 1942 to 1947, and the battle of ideas uh, against US imperialism in 1947, 1956, where the CPGB again had a very kind of nationalist approach to like British culture. But this kind of softening and blurring of communist politics and identity, and it's kind of an irony of this process of this identity formation that the one identity that always gets completely snuffed out is the identity of communist, so it's not a very fair, like, identitarian process, so obviously some identities are more, you know, important than others, but this this kind of softening uh, of this kind of communist politics and, and, and identity meant, of course, uh, that this history was like open up to kind of a uh, kind of abuse because the, the, the CPGB wasn't sometimes wasn't portrayed as a particularly communist kind of organization and in this process has led to the appropriation of parts of like our party's history by anti-communists which is a kind of sure sign that um um uh that that this history writing and this kind, these processes have failed on even the most basic levels of kind of historical empathy. And our side, really, if you like, the Leninist side, which is broadly defined, is, is largely missing from the historical narrative, even though the kind of opposition that groups like the Leninists came out of and its various forms, it would have touched like hundreds of CPGB activists in, 1960, in the 1960s, 1970s and 1980s. We're talking about Maoist opposition, the oppositions around straight left you know, and the oppositions late, later around the Morning Star, these would have touched hundreds, if uh, if, if not thousands of CPG activists. And, and, and most of them had a like a version of the fact that one to one degree or another linked to pro-Soviet politics that the party had gone soft and reformist. That wasn't like a, that wasn't like a, a, an idea that you wouldn't h- hear if you mixed with communist in those areas. I'm sure other comrades would tell you better than me, but y- you would have gonna heard that eh? and you can see that like occurring and in, in various kind of tranches of opposition to which is, such as the debate they had over the British Road to Socialism in 1977. <clears throat> this was like a, you know, a, a widespread kind of opposition, but those voices never ever appear. Uh, you know, or or they only appear uh, 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 with, with under the tutelage of kind of simple abuse uh, in 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 the kind of histories that are written. Whereas if it if you're Beatrix Campbell or Martin Jakes, you're obviously going to get you know a much more kind of sympathetic kind of reception. So. Um, this, this, so this kind of uh, this, this, these, these, re- these reactions of, of 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 the old CBGB from the nineteen sixties to its history, they kind of set the terrain really. They kind of set out the terrain for what's happened subsequently. Uh, you'll be glad to know I'm coming to the end uh, soon, and I think my voice sounds like it's going to pack up anyway. Um, <clears throat> so how 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 to how how do we go about? defeating this and, and and has there been any kind of reaction to this well <clears throat> i think we have to give some credit to the latter day communist party of britain uh, uh, and uh, morning stars communist party of britain uh, and its own kind of version of the ycl because they they've clearly identified this problem that the party's kind of been appropriated by kind of uh uh, by, by kind of alien forces and they've, they've tried to address it with some kind of mixed results which I don't have time to go into the detail of all of those they produce some 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 books that CP, CPB writers have produced have been very good some have been plain terrible In my opinion, like most of this kind of writing, it kind of suffers from an empiricist method whereby it just largely recounts things or activists associated with the old CPGB and very little critique, very little analysis of its kind of politics, very little balance sheet, very little what's right and what's wrong. You just get these kind of like narratives of what happened or what somebody thinks has happened or what a source tells you happened. But ultimately this can coexist quite, Quite nicely really with the histories produced by like Euro-communist influence historians, as it, it poses very little existential threat to it um, because there, there's no, it doesn't have a counter kind of narrative to it, it just tells you that the CPGB did this and that for the most part also I've seen re- more recent examples of uh, the the YCL the young Communist League that's the 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 Ycl of our, our time talking about the old YCL that was run by the official cpgB and trying to kind of reappropriate even kind of more controversial aspects of the old Ycl from the 1960s there was a thing in 1967. Around 1967, called the Trend Campaign, which crudely put and very simply put, represents an attempt by the old YCL leadership of the 1960s to adapt itself to the youth culture of that time, as against the kind of more politici- against the more politicized culture of the YCL left, which at that point was also being affected and influenced by Maoism. Um, uh, it wasn't that trendy because uh, apparently uh, drawing competitions uh, were at the cutting edge of uh, for youth in 1967. So even though you might have um, <clears throat> even though you might have had a chance to see the Kinks or the, I think the Who played at, uh, at some kind of YSL events in the 1960s, you also had this kind of paternalistic kind of uh, uh, patronising attitude to kind of youth, which was the very kind of obverse of trend. Um, so it was a very, it was kind of strange that the kind of modern YCL wants to wants to kind of present that as something kind of worthwhile, given the amount of, uh, the given the amount of uh, uh given the amount of uh, <clears throat> annoyance it caused to the left at the time. But this is this exemplifies the problem of the modern day YCL. Basically, it sees itself as a pure kind of continuation of the old Young Communist League. And therefore, it appears it appears to think it has to absorb all of the old CPGB's history, and all of the old YCL's history, like revisionist kind of warts and all. That leads it back straight back to the politics of of, of the modern day softening and appropriation of the CP's history by alien kind of class okay. forces, uh, uh, because uh, you know that. That some of the events and some of the activities that they're that they're using as examples were p- precisely infected in the sort of kind of revisionism that kind of led into this kind of thing where uh, the CPGB's history can be uh, you know appropriated by the likes of Caroline Lucas or or Roy Hattersley or wherever it is. Um. Um. Uh, The the modern-day YCL has has attempted to celebrate the militant aspects of the Kinderscale West Trespass, and I believe that they had an event where they all climbed to the summit, uh, 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 you know, with with red flags and and trying to, uh, uh, you know, recapture the spirit of the original event. And I think I'm not sectarian. I think that that's a a good thing that they're trying to do that. But you can't be doing that. You can't be marching up to the top of Kinderscale waving red flags. And then and then start talking up some of the kind of like soft left politics that, that the YCL uh, had by the by the sixties seventies and eighties, which led to its complete dissolution a few years before the CPGB itself. So that's one kind of way of, of, of kind of appropriating, and I think that that's a false route which will lead the, the comrades into trouble. Um, that all sounds very pessimistic, and I'm just going to finally finish up. So more, more optimistically, though, um, however, we've recently seen how a kind of relatively small group of historians a uh, relatively small group, although, you know, there's quite a few of them, but a relatively small group of historians, so they've begun to change the historical narrative of the Second International, um, you know, and that's, you know, that that's the product of quite small amounts of, of people, although it's involved quite a, a lot of disciplined historical work. And While the rebuilding of um, class parties as a close to micro sex is a, is a kind of tremendous task, Small groups of historians <clears throat> dedicated to a, a more critical account of the CPGB and work in a disciplined manner could, could change the way and could have an impact on the way we view its history and stop the kind of historical vandalism inherent in watching an anti-communists appropriate in our history for their own kind of nefarious ends. So if anyone's listening to this and fancies getting stuck into this task, I can I can ensure them that I can assure them that there's there, 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 there's plenty to get stuck into but I think that these kind of tasks these kind of ideological tasks they are more achievable by small. Uh, uh kind of groups of people so the current kind of vandalism that's going on of our history and of our our, our kind of past it, it, it is something that it is something that could be like countered and it is something that can can be defeated i can't see it being completely overthrown but it, it and ultimately it does rely on the, the workers movement instead of accepting the establishment events where you go and listen to some you know uh you know, uh, uh, Bill and Mary reformist, you know, talking about, you know, uh, uh, talking about the kind of romance of the the Kinderscale mass trespass. It does rely on our movement, organising our own separate events to counter that, to counter that narrative. And these are the type of events that if our movement was like anything at all, these type of establishment events would be the type of thing we'll be picketing and disrupting really. Because they're, they're they're nothing but vandalism, and the, just to finish the 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 contemporary um, the contemporary celebration of the Kinder Scout has, has got absolutely like nothing to do with the circumstances of 1932, and everything to do with like selling reformism, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, with a more romantic kind of face. I'll leave that there. Cheers, Dan.